When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. No Smithy, obviously, on World Cup duty. Ricardo Ball back on deck for you today through till midday. Coming up on the show, uh, Jacob Oram, the White Ferns bowling coach, is going to join us. Uh, we're going to talk to him about uh, what's been going wrong at this tournament. Um, you know, coming in, such great form. So what has happened and, and where are we falling down? Uh, feels like maybe mental skills and management of things could be an issue. So we'll talk to Jacob about that. Uh, we are also going to uh, talk uh, Warriors because they play the Titans this weekend. Wairangi Korpu, former Warriors, going to join us after 10 o'clock. We'll do our Dilmar expertise panel as well. Mark Hinton is going to join us for that. Mick Guerin. Uh, we'll talk some harness racing with him. We'll have a love racing update with Louis Herman Watt as well. Chris Mundell is the head coach of the New Zealand Falcons. If you're asking yourself who the New Zealand Falcons are, probably probably fair enough um, because uh, not too many would know. But he is uh, the head coach of our national Aussie rules team. And given our conversations the other day, Logan, when we were saying didn't know much about it, didn't really enjoy what I have seen of it, uh, we thought we should give it a chance and get him on to give us some some layman speak on how Aussie rules works and maybe how we pick a club. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, as I mentioned, that comes off the back of our, our chat the other day and you know a few people texted in on, on the uh, Temper Bear Post uh, text machine whether they were into it or not, whether they could follow it, understand it, what the heck is going on, we don't know, they don't know. So hopefully uh, we can find out. I reached out to AFL New Zealand and they got back to me straight away. So awesome that they want to front up and help us pick a team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, now we're also going to talk some uh, dogs as well. Emma Potts is a great young greyhound trainer. Uh, she is going to join us a little bit uh, after 11. And then of course we have Stump with Ricardo as well and a $100 TAB voucher up for grabs along with with uh, some sleep drops as well after controversy corner in uh, stumped with uh, Sammy yesterday. Yeah, we don't need to go into that. Okay. Oh, we're not we're not bringing that up. No. Okay, we're not bringing that up. We won't talk about that ever ever again. Uh, we have had a text through on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Actually, came through uh, for. Uh, Louis and uh, the Breakfast Boys uh, and Mitch of course was in uh, this morning for Kempe saying hey boys uh, I had a bonus bet on the storm last night, thought it was an easy win 20 minutes in, however uh, one of the most exciting era ridden finishes I've ever watched, uh, self-assured in co- South Coast uh, Dern Box Quinella at 2.40 looks tidy, thanks for your text Dave, yep yeah. 
I did the same. I looked at the lineups. I thought Souths get Latrell back. Melbourne have lost a few, including the Cheese, but they did get Harry Grant back and Cameron Munster back. So I was like, I think it'll be tight. I jumped on the unders, Melbourne unders, uh, and then actually went to bed, didn't watch any of the game, got up this morning, watched the highlights to find out whether or not my bed had come in, and it had. So, uh, yeah, the Storm unders, which is which is always good, and uh, hopefully we will we can turn that into some more money later on today with uh, some uh, backup bets on the football that's on this morning. We've got uh, Europa League, we've got Premier League, and uh, a bunch of others going on as well. Uh, speaking of football, uh, the Phoenix play tonight. They're up against uh, the uh, Newcastle Jets, who they played only a couple of weeks ago and beat 3-2. And Scott Wooten is the centre-back. He was a mid-season signing uh, for the Wellington Phoenix out of the UK. Corner again this time. It's nodded in at the back post by Scott Wooten, who has his first goal in the Isuzu Uday League. So there you go. That is Scott Wooten scoring his uh, first goal and only goal at this stage for the team. Hopefully it's another one tonight. Uh, but Scott comes uh, to us from Sydney. How are you settling in, mate? Team seems to be flying. Yeah, no, it's uh, obviously been a good start personally. Um, you know, I've played six games. We're unbeaten in eight. Uh, sorry, we lost one in eight. So, you know, we're in good form. And uh, yeah, you know, I've loved every minute of it since I came and um, you know, I've settled into the squad really, really well. A lot better than I thought, um, you know, making a move over to the other side of the world. But yeah, you know, I, I can't complain with how it's gone and um, just got to keep striving to improve and, and keep the results going the way they have been. Oh, you, got a, you got a goal pretty early on. Was it your second game that you got a goal as well? So that's got to help <laughs> yeah, you settle in, yeah? Yeah, quite right. Yeah, a goal, uh, goal, early goal always helps, of course. Um, Quite important. We were under the cosh a bit at the time, and it come at a good time in the game. We ended up winning comfortably three 0 in the end. So, yeah, you know, a goal for a defender is, especially myself, quite rare over my career. So, um, you know, to get an early goal is, is is a great way to settle into the team. Yeah, very much so. Now we had the bad news uh, during the week that um, Alex Roofer, the skipper of the of the squad, is out for uh, probably twelve months with his knee done, needing an op and everything. Uh, how do you think that's going to impact the team? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, there's no uh, sort of getting around it. It's obviously a huge loss. Uh, he's our captain. He's our leader. He's he's uh, he's been absolutely outstanding since, since I've been here. Um, since I come in January, um, his form has been been top top draw. Um, not just what he does on the pitch, how he is off the pitch, is the standards he sets every day in training. Um, he's, he's vocal in the dressing room before games. He, you know, people look up to him. So there's no getting away from it. It's a huge loss. Um, but, you know, in times, you know, in tough times, you've got to stand up and be counted as a team and we have to rally round and, and, and you know, someone has to come in and replace them and pick their game up to the levels that the standards that Roofs has set. And, and that's how sport is, not just football or sport. You know, someone's bad fortune is, is another someone else's chance. But, you know, obviously you know, we're all being, you know, we're all gutted for him and we, we all wish him all the best. You know, I'd been through that injury myself uh, five, six years ago Um it is a long road, but it will one thing for sure. And and obviously knowing him, getting to know him since I've come in, he's he's a great lad, and it will certainly make him a lot mentally stronger and and, and stuff like that. And I stand him in great stead for the rest of his career once once he recovers from that injury. Now I know you're not the you're not the manager, you're not the coach, but in terms of how you think this is going to change things, I mean, is it like for like with Nicholas Pennington coming in for him, or do you see maybe Tim Payne, who's played that role a lot previously, playing in there, and Louis Fenton going into right back? Um, yeah, these are obviously 
this is probably like the manager and the assistant manager speaking uh, <laughs> in, 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 the, in the offices, isn't it? And um, too much football manager. That's what I've done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, these are I'm sure that these are the chats that you know the boss and chiefly the assistant manager they'll be having. Uh, you know, we have got obviously got different options of whether you say whether it's a straight swap, whether it's slightly rejiggling a couple of players around. Um, you know, who, who knows that that's down to the manager. That's what he gets. He gets paid to do. Um, so yeah, obviously only time will tell, and, and we'll see on, on see tonight. Yeah, we'll see see how it goes uh, tonight against Newcastle. Of course, uh, kind of funny how the draws work. That you hadn't played them for ages, and you play them twice in three weeks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is quite strange. Um, you know, like you say, played them on obviously played them at the start of the season, and then we we played them, and then we only had the Brisbane, Brisbane game in between. Uh, so it has worked out quite well. But you know, it's been a strange season for, for all of that stuff. You know, with games being cancelled. Obviously, we had the really poor weather here a couple of weeks ago. We've had COVID sort of in the middle of the season, a delayed start. Um, so you know it's been quite a unique season in a, in a lot of senses in terms of the fixture pile up and now the fixtures have panned out. Um, but you know we just it, to us it's just the next game we have to to meet it head on and and, and look to go and win the game. Yeah, so uh, what did you make of Newcastle last time out? They they seemed to um, be able to, to to get at the back four a bit, but they weren't able to get past the back four. If you like, there was a lot of shots from outside the area. Yeah, I think they were. Um, one of the stronger teams I've certainly played against. Um, I think they're in a bit of a, possibly a false position in the league for, the, for some of the quality they've got, um, in, in, especially in the attacking third. We, we felt obviously we could we could hurt them on transition and, and exploit the weaknesses at the back. But um, you know, they've obviously got an abundance of talents, you know, um, with the striker, number 10, Pena, is a, a top player in this league. Um, you know, and it was it was a tough game. They had a lot of the ball. The way they play enables them to to dominate possession. You see them do that in most games that we play. And we had to we had to defend. We had to dig in. We had to suffer and struggle at times without the ball and, and hang on. And you know, Ollie made some good saves when he had to. Um, I think they scored two controversial goals. Uh, if I'm honest, I think the first goal was offside, blocking Ollie uh, Ollie Sale, and the second goal was a clear foul on on, on Clayton Lewis. Um, so you know, we we obviously won that game late on but um, no I think they're a good team they, they'll cause most teams problems um, in, in this league and you know we've we done okay to a point we still probably conceded a few more shots than we would like to and, and we'll try and change that in, in this game um, but you know we, we've got to we've got to they're going to have to defend well I'm sure there'll be times where we, we don't have the ball and we have to shuffle a little bit without possession um, but you know that's what the good teams do and you've got to be able to play with them without the ball and you know, if we can, we can limit them to. They might have possession, but if we can keep them as far away from our goal as possible, then I think we'll be in for a good night. And how's um, really Piscopo's uh, calf? Is he likely to be fit tonight? Do you think? Uh, I'm not too sure. Really, he's obviously he's, he's been training with the physios. Um, don't, not sure if this game might come a bit too soon for him. Um, obviously, he's a big player for us. He, he can he can take us up the pitch from one box to the other uh, with, with his running ability with the ball, and he, he's got tricks. He can get goals and assists. So he's been a big miss for us as well in there in the last few games. And you know, hopefully, the quicker he can get back fit, the better because you know he's a, he's a big player for us and how we play, and he un- understands that position very very well. And he's he's a threat, constant threat to the opposition. So. Of course, we, we'd love to get Reno back, but I think the most important thing with them niggly injuries is, is when he is back, he's back for good and he doesn't break down from in the, in the rehab and, and when he does get back, you know, playing on the pitch. 
Now, uh, you got uh, Borley, obviously, in the squad, who's uh, from a similar part of the world as you. Of course, he came through at City. You came through at United. Uh, no doubt, a bit of crack in the dressing room uh, that you would have loved to uh, not have had to be on the end of in the last couple of weeks. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, quite lucky, really, that Borley was a Man United fan when he was a young lad, so he's still got a bit of a soft spot. I think he said it was quite difficult for him being at City, but, um, you know, Borley's a great lad. Um Come to be a you know really good friend since joining here. I actually played with Borley about nine years ago at Peterborough in the Championship. Um, we spent a bit of time together there, so I knew him previous to coming here. But yeah, in terms of uh, Man City, Man United, it's not been a it's not been a a, a good couple of weeks as if for Man United fans. Obviously, being knocked out of the Champions League as well. So uh, tough times. Tough times indeed. Um, Scott, if you could uh, pick a manager for Manchester United for next season. I know there's a lot of talk about Eric Ten Hag. There's some talk about uh, Pochettino. Uh, where would you be looking? I would probably sway towards Pochettino um, for the reasons of, obviously, Ten Hag's done very, very well. His, his Ajax team from, I think it was probably two, three, four years ago in the Champions League, he knocked up Real Madrid and got beat by Tottenham, I think it was. That was a fantastic team. But I just think going from the Dutch league and managing Ajax, although you know Ajax is a huge football club with great tradition, I just think then to come to Manchester United and the demands of the Premier League and the size of the club would be a huge ask. I think Pochettino has the experience of managing Tottenham. Yes, not the same size club, but still a huge club in England, one of the top six clubs. Uh, he's now managing PSG with huge expectation. I know he's obviously, he hasn't done amazing there, but I just think what he done with that Tottenham team, uh, the style he had, he brought young players through. Um, attacking football, fast-paced football, they're all the signs of Man United. You know, that's what a Man United... I just feel he has a lot of the attributes that a Man United manager should have. Like, you know, like I just said, bringing young players in, playing high-pressing, attacking fast football. You know, you've seen what people like Dele Alli doing, Harry Kane took Harry Kane's game to a new level. Hopefully, he would do that with the likes of Sancho, uh, players who have just come to the club. But I think whoever the, man, the next manager is for Man United, they need to back him. Uh, 100%. They need to give him a long-term contract because this constantly, you know, this constant chop and change in the managers hasn't worked since Alex Ferguson left. So uh, I think they need to, whoever they go, whether, whether they have to pay some, for somebody like a Simeone or whoever they think is the right fit, you know, like I say, I would sway towards Pochettino, but whoever they decide to go and whether they have to pay for them, um, they need to back him and they need to put the club back in his hands because there's just too much mess in and around up the upstairs and who signed the players, who does this. You know, there's a lot of confusion there so they need to get that sorted first. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, since Ferguson left, you've had Moyes, you've had um, Ollie, obviously, you've had Jose, you've had Louis van Gaal um, and now we've got Ralph Ranić. Um, the manager keeps changing. Not much else does. So that would suggest the problems elsewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I think just as big a loss was... Um, just a bigger loss from Alex Ferguson was also David Gill because the two of them between them ran the club. You know, now you hear Ed Woodward gets him to get really involved. Uh, John Mert is involved. Uh, Darren Fletcher's obviously gone as technical director. Um, and I know, you know, I played with Fletcher, he'll have the club at, at heart 100% with every decision he, he would make. He's obviously got the manager who wants to sign his style of players. It just... If, if, if everyone at a football club isn't all singing off the same hymn sheet, it can just get a bit messy and you get too many decisions wrong. I actually think the recruitment in the last couple of years has been a lot better in terms of Sancho, Verano are the two that stand out. You, you think, yeah, you, you know, you've got to go and get them players if you're Man United. Um, 
But yeah, like you know, like you just said, you had Moyes who signed a few of his players. Van Gaal comes with a different style signed for likes of Daily Blind, um, you know, or players that he wanted to sign. Then Mourinho comes in, signs Bailly, uh, Fred, his players, and then Oli signs his. You end up with a manager who's got four or five different groups of players all wanting to play in certain different ways and all singing off different hymn sheets. It's 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 quite difficult to to fix and you know to use a comparison if you look at the success Man City and Liverpool have both had unfortunately Man United's two biggest rivals you know everyone from top to bottom of the club is all pulling in the same direction they're all there's a clear identity and philosophy and style in terms of how those clubs do things both on and off the pitch and that's that's obviously how you know in any business or industry that's that's what success brings so you know I think they need to take a bit of a leaf out, out of them books and, and, and do that and like you know like I said they start losing David Gill Someone we're not watching for instance, he was just a bigger loss as Ferguson, I feel. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've always said that he should have stayed another year just for the transition, uh, but it didn't yeah. happen. But hey, can't change history, mate. Can't change history. Scotty, thanks very much for uh, giving us some time, mate. Good to chat. Best of luck no tonight problem. against Newcastle, and uh, hopefully we can talk again and maybe we can just do a United podcast. Maybe that'll be easier with we'll that. <laughs> How long have we been there for weeks? <laughs> Good stuff, mate. Good luck tonight, eh? Okay, thanks, mate. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Nine here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. No, Smithy, of course, he is on World Cup duty. And uh, we'll be talking World Cup shortly because Jacob Oram, the bowling coach from the White Ferns, is going to join us uh, after the latest in news and sports. So if you've got any questions you want to put to Jacob about the White Ferns and this World Cup, uh, you can do so by texting us through on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost like no other. That number is 8833. 8833 is that number. If you want to get those through. Uh, temper and bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your heat and uh, your head and feet up in comfort. So like how I tried to just mould heat, uh, head and feet into one word and say heat, I, you know, it just didn't quite work. But uh, there you go. Um, the Temper Bedpost text machine is double eight double three. Uh, feel free to hit us on that one. And also uh, Scott Wooten, we just heard from him. Uh, he, of course, played at Manchester United, came through the ranks there before joining Leeds United, Peterborough, Morecambe, a few others as well that he played for uh, down the Football League pyramid. Still a big United fan. Uh, and uh, it was interesting to get his take on where United should go as uh, with their manager for next and saying he's all uh, in with uh, Maurizio Pochettino, the uh, former Tottenham manager who's currently at PSG, but probably won't be for much longer given they got knocked out of the Champions League uh, by uh, Real Madrid. So keep your thoughts coming through on double eight double three double eight double three. Had one in through from Mike. Hi, guys. You have to admire the White Ferns' enthusiasm and courageous fight at the end, but with a couple of notable exceptions, they are impatient and persistent in playing fuller balls across the line early in their innings. Whilst 280-300 targets are admirable, the first rule is bat through 50 overs. 250 will beat most teams. Cheers, Mike. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair call, Mike. Thanks for your text. Keep them coming through on double eight double three, the temper bed post text machine. Uh, Logan? Yeah, I mean, I think Mike makes a good point there. You know, you got about through the the fifty overs. You, you had two to go there. I was thinking potentially, you know, two forty, two fifty could have been could have been a good target mm. to chase down, and they definitely fought back. It was really touch and go there. I, I don't know about you, but I was watching it, and 
you know, when uh, Sophie Devine got that wicket, I was like, all right, here we go. It is all on. Yeah, out of jail. Out of jail, yeah. I thought, here we go. And then there was just a couple of moments there where I just felt like there was a bit of a lack of uh, killer instinct. You know, we, we sort of praise the Australian team for being aggressive, right? And I just wonder yeah. if potentially maybe we should be seeing some of that as well uh, out of the White Ferns. I mean, there was that one moment there, I think it was the second to last over, ball goes way up in the air, and you think, sure, surely there's going to be a catch, and then it just lands in between uh, Southwaite and Bates. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, could, could someone make a dive? And I'm like, oh, the camera angle potentially didn't show it uh, – you know, the the complete picture there. Maybe it wasn't gettable, but just from my eyes there, I thought surely someone could have at least tried to dive and go for it. And then and the when there was one run to go and they re, they reset the field and they're trying to choke that single run. Great idea. But then when they when they popped the run, it just kind of felt like it just happened, right? Like I thought maybe put some pressure on on the runner, try and force a run out, force a mistake, and it just didn't happen. And then, uh, yeah, South Africa coast of well, I don't want to say coast of victory, but you know they they did win, and now it's like what happens next? The the playoff picture, the semi final picture, gets a lot more complicated for the White Ferns here on out. Well, I mean to be honest, I thought that they needed to win out from yesterday um, to be guaranteed a spot. So now they need to win out against England and Pakistan. But even if they do that, that doesn't guarantee them a semi-final spot, I don't think, the way things are looking at the moment. so No, and I'm really worried about the West Indies having a game in hand as well. Uh, if they're going to potentially leapfrog the White Ferns and take that fourth spot. And uh, it is not and the just... Windies have got to play Bangladesh and Pakistan. Yeah, so that's a bit more favourable on the on the end, isn't it? And yeah. then the England-New uh, Zealand game on Sunday is going to be great. Of course, you know, they're doing that... That promotion there where adults get in free on a child, you know, if you buy a child ticket, you get an adult ticket free. I think that's an amazing idea, uh, depending on, you know, how many people you can get. I think, is it still 20%? 20% at Eden Park, surely that's going to be a, that's a good number. Yeah, it should be. What's yeah, that? Behind, Eden Park hold about 45,000, so it's about 9,000. Yeah, get behind the White Ferns because they need our support. And uh, I, I mean, I still hope, we're still cheering for them. We want, we want to see success. We want to see them do well. And yeah, I mean, it's, this is their time, this is their tournament, and when it comes to big moments, they just really need to step up. And, you know, we've had Ollie Smith, he's been on the show, we've had others on the show that have kind of said that when it comes to those big moments, we're not taking them. Mm. And we need to take them, especially in a World Cup. Yeah, you're exactly right. Keep your text coming through, double eight, double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine. We do have Jacob Oram, the White Ferns bowling coach, on after the latest in news and sport with Aroha Halfway, which is now. Starting her ninth over, Camp smashes her to the onside and into the gap between mid-wicket and mid-on to the fence for four. Two runs needed. Five balls remain. Pole position, South Africa now. Bowls and it's uh, hit away into the cover region. They'll set off and they will get home. South Africa win. South Africa win by two wickets. Kaka found a way to gap it between extra cover and mid-off. They sprinted, they get home, and the throw is late. Marazan Cap drops to a knee, delighted that her side has remained perfect at this ICC Women's World Cup. South Africa have successfully chased down 229 
to beat New Zealand by two wickets in Hamilton. Match number 16 was a beauty. It is 27 away from 10 here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy uh, as he is on World Cup duty. Another man on World Cup duty is Jacob Oram, the bowling coach for the White Ferns. G'day, Jacob. How are you doing? I'm great, and thank you for replaying those highlights. It makes me feel better. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, mate. I can imagine. Um, what was the what was the conversation in the dressing room uh, last night after after that final uh, over? Uh, look, there wasn't a lot of conversation. Uh, I mean, as you can imagine, it was pretty flat. I mean, we are even before last night's game, it was pretty close to must win, do or die stuff, and, and we didn't win. Um, so Sunday's game against England is almost like an eliminator, almost like a quarter final, really. Um, I know we've still got Pakistan next weekend, but but we just have to win it. Um, if we don't, it's pretty much us. But even if we do win, we've, we're because of results, um, it may still not fall our way. So the whole dressing room realised we had let um, one, or I should say another one, slip. And um, it was pretty pretty sombre, pretty flat. Yeah, I can imagine, mate. I, I, I want to ask you about, um, obviously you're part of the coaching setup, but um, about mental skills coaching and how much of that goes on with the team. And the reason I ask that is, you know, leading into this, obviously, looked like we were flying. Uh, 4-1 against India, uh, thrashed Australia, even though they'd posted, what, 320-odd. Uh, and then we come in here, it, it feels like from the outside looking in, that when the pressure is on, when the, the game means something, maybe we're not as mentally tough as we could be. So what happens within the team environment on the mental skills coaching side of things? Well, I mean, that's run individually through. I mean, you can't, with something like mental skills, you can't have a one-size-fits-all um, and I think in today's world, it's, you've got to be really careful. I mean, mental skills, does that mean, you know, um, sticking to your game plan and mental toughness? Does it mean wellness and, you know, mental health? And we live in a COVID bubble. Is that about keeping people fresh and making sure mentally they're on the right track? I think it's, I don't think you can just throw a blanket over it and call it all mental um, health um, with regards to what's going on. And I think that's, yeah, I think you need to be a, a little bit careful and sensitive around using that. However, uh, I'm not dodging the question because, yeah, I think you've seen us lose a lot of close games uh, lately, and I don't think it's because of skill. I think we're getting ourselves, I sort of look at it, I think we're getting ourselves into these positions to win, and we're not just getting over the line. So um, whether it's around, you know, quote-unquote mental toughness, or it's our tactical decisions, or it's, you know, an awareness thing, or a... Um, uh, what's another word I'm looking for? You know, an actual a connection to what's going on in the game. I'm not sure. Um, uh, I know the players work individually with, um, you know, the the providers that they have. Normally, that's regionalised. But um, yeah, skills are there. I got no doubt about that. Mm. We play pretty well. I mean, to, I mean, you mentioned about India. India's a good side. We beat Australia. I mean, it was a warm up game. Um, yeah, but when the heat's been on in the last couple of months, we just seem to be falling at the last hurdle. Mm. Well, exactly, and that was that was my point. Yeah, the skills are definitely not in question. I mean, we've seen that and seen it in absolute spades. I mean, you know, I don't know what the feeling was in camp after the, that win against Australia. What did you chase down? 326 and lost one wicket and had seven overs in hand. I mean, that was almost, um, it was unbelievable, uh, you know, how many runs uh, we scored in that match and, and, and with so much time up our sleeve. So I don't think skills is, yeah. is the issue. I'm just trying to figure out where where things do go wrong when, when it seems we're in pressure situations, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and you, well, you look at that chase against Australia. 
Um, well, first of all, I mean, it, it basically teams are playing more than 11. You know, bowlers pretty much bowl one spell. Um, you're rotating fielders on and off the whole time because you can play your whole squad. So it's it's kind of not the white-hot heat of a fixture, you know, on TV with a crowd, under lights, you know, 11 on 11. So it is slightly different, that warm-up game. But, um, you know, in that game we're talking about, I mean, Sophie just went nuts and got 160 off 120 balls, I think it was. Mm. She was kind of set up to do a similar sort of job last night, you know, getting to 90-something, you know, 10 overs to go. We're on 109. No, we're on... Actually, I know, that's 198. And then from that point on, um, we only scored another 30 runs. Mm. So I, I have, you know... Done a bit of reading and heard a bit of stuff already today around some of the bowling issues from the game last night. Look, we lost the game because we fell 20, 30, maybe even 40 runs short of where we should have got to. And that's the bottom line. And you look at the way the game unfolded and how well our bowlers did to bring us back into it, especially Mila Kerr and Hannah Rowe. Um, you know, we, if we just had, a, I don't like saying it, but if we just had another 15, 20, 30 runs, you know, it's a totally different game. So anyway, that's where I think the game was. Um, the, the, the fork in the road for the match was, I think, the back end of our batting. Yeah. Well, what about um, uh, how much work goes into game management for players? I mean, I know that, you know, when you and Bob send the team out, there's, you know, your job maybe isn't done, done, but there's only a certain amount you can do once they're actually out on the field. Uh, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, but I can I kind of can see that situation where not batting out our 50 or close to our 50 against Australia might bite us in the bum and net run rate at some point uh, down the track. For example, that game, I mean, that that uh, how do those conversations go for you guys when you're setting up the team to go, hey, look, we're probably not going to win this game, but we need to we need to be there till the end? Oh, huge amounts, huge amounts. And I, and I think it should never be underestimated how much talking and planning and analysis and scouting and all those lovely high-performance words goes into it. Um, you know, even... Even in-game management in terms of fielding positions and bowling changes, I'm not saying we're calling the shots from the sideline, but, you know, say at drinks or if a wicket falls and gloves are being run out, there's always messages, I should say, going out, but also coming back in terms of the feedback from the players out there in terms of what the pitch is doing, what a likely score is, you know, what they're thinking for bowling changes. So communication's not a problem. Um, So I can't fault that. Um, and, And, look, there's enough... The, the the communication forum and, and the relationship that sports staff have with the players is is really good. So I don't see an issue there. It's just you know sometimes um, you know decisions are made out on the field which you can't question. I mean I've been a player myself. You just do what's right with the information at hand at the right time. And you know what hindsight will tell you if that's been a good or bad decision. Um, you know and sometimes it goes your way and other times it doesn't. Yeah, um, I mean, so, you know, a lot of, I know you said that you've read and heard a lot about what about last night, and one of the things that I've picked up is a lot of people um, asking about, you know, having Frankie um, bowl the last over, um, and whether that was the right decision. It's it's easy to make that in hindsight, and I looked at that and went, well, you obviously had Leah had a over up her sleeve, so that to me says you're just trying to take the pace off the ball and make it harder for them to score. Was that kind of the decision around that? Uh, how do I answer that one? Um, we, you know, we haven't had our proper review yet. Um, we, we sort of have a couple of discussion groups around the whole, the whole team, obviously, but then we have a, um, a leadership or a senior players group with Sophie, obviously as captain and then, and two former captains and Susie and Amy, where we, um, the coaching staff go through with a, a little bit fine tooth comb around some of those decisions. So, so less about how the game panned out than actually we dig a bit deeper with those three players, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we'll get into those, you know, those conversations with them um, around, you know, why this and why not that. And it's not always negative slash constructive. It's also like, hey, bloody good idea with that field placement or that bowling change. And I think it'll be a really healthy conversation when it comes to that. You know, I think off the top of my head, I think Frankie had already bowled five overs leading into that last over. And, man, that's a big spell for any bowler at that at the end of an innings, especially if you're a spinner where, let's be honest, anyone can close their eyes and swing hard and get away against a spinner. So I know Leah had one more. I know Jess Kerr had only bowled seven overs for 23. She, she had overs up her sleeve. So um, I don't think we were short on options. Um, and there would have been 100% there would have been reasons and, and um, theory for bowling Frankie at that point. She'd actually done pretty well. She'd taken a couple of wickets. She'd only gone for single figures. Um, but as I said before, around hindsight, um, you, know, it, you know, it would have been nice to have seen maybe Jess Kerr with her slower balls have a go as well. So we'll get into those conversations with, with Sophie and the group later on today. Yeah, well, we shouldn't just talk about, you know, uh, what we didn't do right. We should applaud the South Africans, I think, to an extent as well, Jacob, because I, I'm, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but coming into the tournament, all the talk was about us, Australia, England, India, as the four teams to beat. And I didn't hear any noise about South Africa. How, uh, how surprised have you been about their form? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I, I think... Um, I think they were always in the running. I mean, there's some stat around them winning their last six or seven bilateral series, um, which means they obviously haven't played Australia because Australia's <laughs> basically, I think, won 29 out of their last 30 games. So, um, But they're, they're a good side. And you know what? They're an experienced side. When you go up and down their roster, they've got players who are playing in multiple World Cups, as do we, to be fair. But we've kind of got both ends of the spectrum. We've got you know, the likes of Susie, Sophie, Amy, Katie Martin, you know, Leah Tohu, and then the other end, which, you know, we've probably got half a dozen girls playing in the first World Cup. So so that's a very good side, very experienced. What I like about them the most, and I thought it even before last night's game, was they, they're just they're quite um, uh, clinical and, and very structured in the way they play. And sometimes that can be a, a negative thing, but I think when you know your role and this is my job and I just stick to it and um, almost robotic in a way, and I don't want that to be a negative slant, is that it's just they do their jobs really well. Um, they've got damn good bowling. Um, you know, Their opening bowling attack, I think, is probably best in the competition in Ishmael and, and Camp. And, um, so they're a good side. I'm not surprised. I mean, will they go all the way? I don't know, potentially. They're in a semis already, so they've got a damn good chance. Yeah, they do. Uh, England is our next opponent, of course, must win for both teams. Um, at least most win, a must win for both teams. Uh, England come into this, obviously, as, as one of the favourites. I think they were second favourite when the tournament opened. Uh, so uh, what do you think's gone wrong for them, and what, what, do you got, what will you guys be sort of uh, looking at in terms of weaknesses for, that you can attack uh, with them on Sunday? Uh What's gone wrong for England? Look, I, I mean, first of all, they they played Australia, who is, is setting the pace, um, and that was a high-scoring, you know, close loss. I mean, they they ended up getting really close to three hundred themselves. So, and I know they've had, you know, they lost to the West Indies, which as did we. So, um, they've also got to play off the top of my head. I think they've also got the two, um, I suppose, lighter opponents in Pakistan and Bangladesh to come as well. So you would think if they beat them, they're they're almost in a similar position to us. So. It comes down to just, you know, as I said right at the start, it's a must-win game for us. It's it's an eliminator for whoever loses that match um, in terms of their weaknesses. We've played them a lot over the last couple of years. They've toured here, we've toured there. So I think over the last 
12 months, we've probably paid them eight or nine one days and only won a couple. So we are not on the right side of the ledger, which means, A, they've had the better of us, but B, and this is the thing we've got to focus on, is that we've seen them enough times now that we, we should be aware of what they're bringing to the table and we should be confident in trying to work out our plan to overcome that. So um, we've touched on it previously. We do a hell of a lot of talking and planning and whatnot. That'll go on the same way. We'll focus on what we've been doing well. Um, you know, let's not forget, we fought our way back into the match yesterday through some great spells with Kerr and Rowe. Um, and, you know, I thought we were going to win last night. We got to those last couple of overs. So we're pretty bloody close. And if we turn out the same performance with a little bit of that mental edge that maybe we discussed as well, then... Sunday should be a good day. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, mate. And uh, obviously, SENZ's got all the live commentary of all the White Ferns games as well here, mate. So uh, we want, want the team to do well and wish you all the best, Jacob. I know it's uh, difficult to come and chat uh, on radio in these sort of circumstances when you're coming off a tough loss like that. So I really appreciate, appreciate you doing so and appreciate your time. And best of luck to you and the squad for, for England on Sunday, eh? Thanks, I appreciate it. And, and yeah, it's it's not nice to lose, Um it's not an effort thing going on here, but we are we are missing some crucial moments in the game, and I think that's 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 the disappointing thing is that I can I can see our players being good enough to be better than what they are, and we've just got to try as a coach group ensure that they believe that as well, and, and we'll we'll come out okay, you know, and it's um uh yeah, let's just hope it's a great day on Sunday for for New Zealand cricket. Indeed, indeed. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Jacob. Jacob Borum there with us, the uh, bowling coach for the White Ferns. It is uh, 13 away from 10 here on SENZ. We're nine away from ten here on SENZ. Ricardo Paul in for Ian Smith, uh, and uh, we've had a few texts coming through. Uh, will New Zealand and England each get one point when it quite possibly rains on Sunday? That's from Chris, and somebody else has uh, texted in. Forecast is not great for Sunday's game either. Hopefully, it's wrong. Imagine it not happening. That would stuff both teams. Yeah, I think a point for each team would probably eliminate both teams from uh, the semi-final uh, reckoning. So that is uh, uh, that is an interesting one. But uh, yeah, it was good to have uh, Jake. Come on, and, and good of him to front. I thought Logan in difficult times. Yeah, one hundred percent. You got to admire and respect coaches that do front up in those kind of situations. Uh, we probably didn't. I'm sorry, Jacob. Probably did you a bit dirty there playing those highlights there of uh, Daniel Bacardi's call to set you up. But you know, so many coaches like it's easy for them to to hide away and not front to media in situations like this. It is tough. There's you know, and they still have to do their review, as you mentioned. I'm sure that's something they'll do today and sort of figure out what went wrong and what can be done against England if that does go ahead, depending on the weather. Uh, so yeah, I just have mad respect for someone that will front up like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it is easy. I mean, there were, there were uh, I've had texts through here today asking about, you know, bowling Frankie in that last over, and it's easy to say in hindsight, and I'm not taking away from the person that asked the question, because I think it's a, a legitimate question, and one that will probably be asked in the review today. But I looked at that and went, well, they've obviously brought Frankie on, because A, she's hot, and, and that she's just bowled five overs, she's taken a couple of wickets, uh, you're not bringing on a bowler who's cold, but also they're trying to take the pace off the ball. That's kind of why I thought they were doing it, rather than bowl, bowl you know, Jessica or Leah Tahuhu. But uh, it was interesting, Jake's uh, answer to that was, you know, that, well, maybe, but maybe it wasn't the right decision as well, and that's something they're going to uh, do in their review. So it was a pity that we didn't get to talk to him post-review, maybe have been able to expand on those answers just a wee bit more, but... Uh, I know that Bob Carter, the head coach of uh, the White Ferns, is going to be on with Sam Hewitt after midday, so make sure you stick around for that. From 
10 o'clock here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. In the next hour, Wairangi Korpu joins us to talk Warriors Titans. We'll also have the Dilmar Expertise panel. Mick Guerin will join us for a harness racing update and Louis Herman Watt with a love racing update as well. I can tell you that uh, there's a Premier League game going on at the moment between Everton and Newcastle United uh, and the game has been interrupted because a protester has somehow got on the field and chained himself to the post uh, of one of the goals. So just uh, that is being cleared. Um, there were a lot of people standing around him. He had a message on his shirt. I'm wondering whether it's about the human rights in Saudi Arabia. Of course, the Saudis now own Newcastle. and uh, might be to do with that, but uh, we'll try and find some audio of that and, and bring it to you shortly. Uh, also, I can tell you that the uh, Windies are 54 for 1 in the second test against England at the moment. And uh, in Europe, the West, uh, West Ham are playing Sevilla in the last 16 of Europa League and they lead 1-0 at half time through Thomas Suchek so that is tied 1 all at the moment on aggregate with 45 minutes to play we'll keep you up to date with those scores and more right here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ Behind the mic nothing gets past Smithy this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ It's two past ten here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in the chair for him while he is on World Cup duty. Speaking of World Cup, we have had uh, quite a few messages through after that interview with Jacob Oram. Uh, this one from James saying, I reckon the game was lost from about the 45th over. Field should have come in a bit. Too many singles allowed, especially to new batters. We were never going to win with a runner ball run rate. Needed to push that up to create some panic. Thanks for your text, James, on the Temper Bedpost text machine and also uh, this one, no name attached to this one, but the best spin bowler in New Zealand at taking the pace off the ball is Lee Kasprick. World class. Where was she? Uh, well, that's a, a very good question. You might find out the answer to that because I know that Sam Hewitt, who is sitting in for staff uh, today from midday, has an interview with Bob Carter, and I'm sure he will ask him about selections, and uh, not only for the game, but also for the uh, for the tournament as well. So uh, we will hear from him about that. Coming up later in the hour, the Dilmar Expertise Panel, Mick Garen on Harness Racing and Louis Herman Watt with a Love Racing update on the Thoroughbreds as well. Now time to talk Warriors with former Warrior Wairangi Korpu. G'day Wairangi, how are you? Yeah, good mate, thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good thanks mate, good, good. What did you, uh, what did you make of the of, of the Warriors' first hit out against the Dragons, mate? I, I know a lot of Warriors fans were, were pretty... Uh, optimistic going into the season. They were looking at the draw for that first five games and thinking, you know, we could be 4-1, 5-0 first, uh, first five games. But So what went wrong? Why didn't we beat the Dragons? Uh, I mean, look, I, I was pretty optimistic even even through that game. And, and even sort of post-game, you know, even though we didn't get the win, there was some ominous signs uh, from the boys. It was, you know, there was obviously still sort of basic um, things that let us down and, and you know, added to that, some injuries didn't sort of really help our cause. But um, 
Yeah, look, uh, I mean, ultimately, I think you know, we've sort of said this before, and um, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate considering how well his form was um, going into round one. But um, you know, if if Cody Nicolima doesn't really fire or doesn't really get involved enough, then um, you know, unfortunately, we, we sort, of, sort of don't really see the benefits around the half. And you know, well, I think Sean did a, a pretty good job of running the show, and that, you know, I typically think that. Um, you know, when there is a dominant half like Sean involved in the game, sometimes Cody ends up going a little bit quiet. Um, and I, you know, I think that's maybe what we saw um, in the in that first round. Um, but yeah, yeah, that first game, unfortunately, you know, just a little bit of rust. But I did think that there were some good signs there. Um, you know, going into this week, um, despite sort of losing some key players like Sean, um, you know, I think the the roster is strong enough there to, to put out a good performance. Well, I'm excited to see Ash Taylor in a Warriors jersey. How about you? Yeah, I am. You know, like, look, when you've sort of been thrown a lifeline almost, you know, it, it sort of gives you a, a renewed sense of enjoyment for, for the game. And, you know, it's, um, you know I, I do think he, he's under a little bit of pressure, but not that much considering, you know, he's not that million-dollar player that he's being paid to perform at, you know. I suppose my only worry is that, you know, in the back of your mind, that's potentially what his mindset could be. You know, he's not getting paid those big bucks to, uh, you know, to be the game-winning half that we all want him to be. So when things get tough, maybe he he shies away from it a little bit. But um, yeah, I am excited to see him um, and and partner up with uh, with, with Chanel. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Reese can do at the back when he now that he's back in the folds and excited to play some football and um, you know with Matt Lodge as well we'll add to the, to the mix uh, after sort of what we saw from him at the end of the last year. I'm sure he's going to want to quickly remind people how good of a prop forward he is and, and to get those um, those other issues he's had. That uh, the million dollar price tag on Ash Taylor was obviously a big uh, a big chip on his shoulder at the Titans. Do you think he'll be better off without it? I mean, I hope so. Um, you know, it's, it is unfortunate for him that he couldn't maintain that level um, because, you know, I mean, you know, like, like most professional rugby league players know, you know, your career is short. Mm. You know, I suppose for, for Ash, who, you know, maybe on that pay packet would have sort of invested in some property and uh, and, the, and the likes. And then, you know, to be able to have as to that, you know, I suppose cut more than in half. Um, puts a lot of pressure on on a player mentally, but um, you know, I I do think that I do think that that, that being in the Warriors fold, um, it would have sort of gave him a renewed sense of love for the game. Um, you know, hopefully, sort of he's in an environment that nurtures that, and um, you know, hopefully, we see the best out of him, and he can get back to that one million dollar. Um, form at, at some stage in his career. What do you make of the decision from Nathan Brown to drop Cody altogether? Uh, I thought I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, he had said pre uh, pre NRL kickoff that he didn't want to mess with his halves too much. Obviously, he didn't have much choice with Sean's injury, uh, but the fact mm. that uh, you know Ash comes in, Chanel moves to six, uh, and he doesn't even make the seventeen. What does what does that say to Cody? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it does. Look, it does look and feel, uh, you know, a little bit rough. Um, and, and I would have, yeah, I would have imagined that he would have gone back to the bench and uh, as cover. Um, but there really isn't a place for him when you've got the likes of Jazz on the bench. You can fill in at, 
at hooker um, and in, you know, in other places in the in the forward pack. So um, yeah, there's a little. I mean, it's not that I'm surprised, but it is. Yeah, it is wrestling for for Cody, who I said said before. You know, he had a really good preseason. I felt like. Um, you know, being that he had to lead the way in that preseason game against Melbourne, he did a fantastic job. Um, um, and like, you know, yeah, unfortunately, I just think maybe when when he's not doesn't isn't required to be the person who steps up at half uh, and really lead the way, um, he he ends up going a little bit quiet. Um, and we really need him um, to be at his best because when he is at his best. He is fantastic. When he's running the ball and he's heavily involved, um, you know, he is a world-class half. Well, that's the thing. I I, I wonder now, because he's in his last year of his deal, and obviously so is uh, Chanel Harris-DeVita. I mean, if you're the club, does this give us a steer about what the club might look at doing? I mean, might they go, you know what, we're just going to let Cody go. He's too hot and cold for us. Let's focus on on Chanel. He's a bit younger and uh, he offers us a bit more. Yeah, potentially. And also, you know, I mean... You know, not that Cody can't cover other positions, but you know Chanel's doing a pretty good job of, of sort of covering in those other positions when he's needed to. He's also defensively very strong. Um, you know, you, you know, while sometimes he might not have the flair, even though we've seen that from at a younger age, he might not sort of um, have the running abilities and the deceptiveness as, as say Cody might have. Um, defensively in the line, he is very very strong. Um, you know, you. Like most professional rugby league players will tell you, defence wins games. Um, so yeah, I mean that that potentially could be the mindset. Um, you know, I, yeah, I don't really have an insight in, in terms of what the club might be thinking. But you know, the, from from the outside looking in, um, you know, it does look like the writing's on the wall a little bit. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, what about the Titans, mate? I mean, I, th- I thought they were. I'm a Parramatta fan, mate, and I, I, th- I was, I was a bit nervous in that game. I didn't think, uh, you know, we were going to win big. And at the end of the first half, I was wondering if we were going to win at all. Uh, I thought the Titans put in a pretty good performance in that match. Yeah, me too. I think. Um, yeah, I was really impressed. To be honest, I was sort of hoping that they would, they would win, um, and they would sort of gather them some momentum because, obviously, being sort of towards the bottom of the table throughout all the last couple of seasons, um, despite, you know, they're, 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 you know, they've got a pretty strong roster. Um, you know, it's like most people say, winning is an attitude and, and you know, if they had won that game, potentially it could uh, propel them throughout the season uh, into a more winning mindset. And, you know, coming into this game, you know, and, well, uh, you know, I hope, <laughs> I hope they, they, they aren't buoyed by by the performance they put on last week, um, you, you know, you, you wonder whether um, you know that losing the first round um, sort of uh, you know snowballs them into into back into a, a, a you know, losing mind, sort of losing attitude. Um, you know, while I hope that's the case in this game, um, they do look very strong, and they've, you know they've got a they've got a good they've got some exciting players um, as we've seen, um, and uh, yeah, and they'll, I'm sure they'll, they'll be a They'll be up for this one, um, you know, knowing that if they can topple the Warriors, you know, they're on a, they're they're they're, they're looking at sort of rolling on throughout the season. 
in terms of uh, the centre combos, uh, I mean, I look at the matchups and I think, oh man, we look green in the centres with Jesse Arthurs and, and Rocco Berry, uh, particularly when they're up against a couple of guys like Brian Kelly, who I think is one of the most underrated centres in the comp, and uh, Patrick Herbert, who was so good in the All Stars game. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, and uh, and yeah, most likely that's where they're going to target some of that um, that youth and experience um, that the Warriors have. They are very good um, defensive centres, those two, both of them really. Um, while they might not have, say, the the, the Joey Manu type of flair or um, the, the the like, they are you know they're, they're very very solid um, defensively. Um, you know, so that's <laughs> like I say that you know that's that goes a long way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, with with you and Aiken flying around there as well. Um, you know, I think there's, like I say, I think they've got a, a, a they've got the, the the ability, and if they can put it together well enough, and, and our, our halves can sort of um, do a very good job with our our back rows, um, then you know, I think they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, you, you, you're right. You know, I mean, I did, I did say that um, the Titans will be looking at sort of capitalising around that in experience, especially in the edges. Yeah, I, were you surprised at all that we didn't see maybe um, you and actually just move back to centre to give us some some uh, so, some experience and some strength there? Because it's not like we're short on second rowers. You know, I mean, Ben Murdoch, Masilla could mm. go in there, Jack Murchie could go in there, but those guys haven't even made the bench. Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, I did think that um, Ewan would fold back into a centre position, and then um, and then they would bring in an extra forward. And but uh, you know, you Ewan was pretty solid last week in, in that back row, and I think he will only get better um, as a back row. And I think they're really looking um, for him to add um, to see what Josh Curran is doing and be be just as as involved in. Um, and as a, as a mobile back rower as Josh um, Curran is becoming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I suppose it's early on in the season. Um, he, he wants to nurture what's going well uh, and then also try out some of the young ones and, and see where, where potentially um, people can fill in and people are strong in certain areas. So, yeah, hopefully it works. Fingers yeah. crossed, man. Fingers crossed. Hey, before we let you go, yeah. Wairangi, can I can I get your tips? I, I've, I've got to I've got to fill in my tips for the rest of the round, and I was hoping you could give me a, a hand. Um, tonight, the Dragons against the Panthers. Who you got? Uh, Panthers. Um, even though you know the Dragons seem pretty strong, I think the the Panthers look unbeatable even at this first early stage of the season. Yeah, uh, two teams who. I think a lot was expected of last week, and neither of them delivered. The Roosters and the Seagulls at ten o'clock tonight. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going manly. I think after last week, um, they would be pretty embarrassed. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm, it's despite what I think the how strong the Roosters are, I think manly would be up for this one. Uh, Titans Warriors. Do I need to ask? No, the Warriors, mate. All day. All day. So, all yeah, day. mate. It's yeah. <laughs> how yeah, I love it. I love it. Sharks, eels uh, tomorrow night at seven thirty. Yeah, pa- para too strong. I think they they'll be they'll be better from last week. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, the Cowboys against the Raiders uh, again. Uh, Cowboys at home in this one, but I, I don't know. The Cowboys feel like wooden spooners to me this season. I don't know your take on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting the dynamic that they've got going on up there. It's. Um, you know, yeah, they're just not clicking, and hopefully they do. But yeah, I'm going. I'm going with the green machine up the milk.
Okay, up the milk, up the milk. Uh, then on Sunday, we've got the Knights and the Tigers. Uh, the Knights looked pretty good against the Roosters last week, didn't they? They did, yeah. They, they're really good. Um, and I'm, I'm going to back them in this one only because they're playing against the Tigers. But the Tigers put on a, a pretty good show as well. I just don't think they can maintain that through, through the length of the season. And then lastly, it's the Dogs who got that ugly 6-4 win against the Cowboys last weekend. They're at home to the Broncos. Mm. That's, it's <laughs> a real interesting game. But I, I mean, I, I'm just going to go to the Broncos purely because I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to get a bit of confidence of that, and, and, and hopefully they do, because I, I want to see the Broncos succeed in this competition. Okay. Well, you'd be, you'd be one of the few Warriors fans that, that says that, but uh, I like it, mate. I like it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to multi-up all your picks, Y, and I, uh, with, the, with, with my TAB account, and let's see what this comes down to. Uh, whew. Uh, yeah. ten, ten bucks on all your picks so far. Uh, returns $437.26. You've got me in the money, Y. I'm taking it to the bank. Cool, I take 20%. <laughs> <laughs> good, good stuff, bro. Hey, thanks very much for your time today, mate. Enjoy the footy this weekend, eh? Cheers. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers. Go well. Uh, Wairangi Kōpū there uh, with us talking NRL here on Ian Smith. Uh, mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Bye. It is 10.22 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy on World Cup duty. So Ricardo Ball in for you on the uh, Dilmar Expertise uh, panel today. Dilmar, do try it. We have Mark Hinton from stuff.co.nz. G'day, Mark. How are you doing? Um, very well, thank you, Rick. Yourself? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. And uh, uh, joining us uh, out of the uh, the mighty Hawks Bay, uh, Hamish Bidwell as well, freelance uh, writer. You see a lot of his stuff pop up on uh, RNZ. How you doing, Hamish? Oh, well, go, fellas. Okay, boys. So we've got a, a few que- a few things to get through here. One, um, I thought we'd start with uh, on the Chiefs number eight, Peter Gus Suakula. He's probably been the form number eight though, so far this season. I know we haven't had a lot of rugby because of COVID and things, but he has just been a meter eater off the back of the scrum. We'll start with you, Mark. Do you think, uh, based off what you've seen, that he's in All Black contention later this season? It's a tough one. Um, I love watching Peter Gus so cool. Let me just state that. First and foremost, the guy's an excitement machine. And as you say, Rick, a, a meter eater. He's a guy that I don't know what his um, actual stats are for the comp, but he would be right up there when it comes to meters per carry. He's, he's strong. He's very good on his feet. He's big and he's surprisingly quick um, off the mark. So, he really does do the job. Is he all black material? Look, I just d- don't know. I don't think so. Um, Peter Gasilkula is what, what we know in sport as one of those high-risk, high-return types. He makes mistakes. He makes errors. He maybe makes misjudgments, gives penalties away, but his, he also tries stuff and does stuff and makes things happen. Those type of players aren't necessarily what an all black coach is looking for in the test arena. But for me, he would have to tidy up those kind of loose elements of his game to enter the All Blacks picture ahead of guys like Luke Jacobson and um, Hoskins Tutu, who offer a lot more, um, I guess, safer, kind of uh, more steady options. So at the moment, not quite an All Black material, but gee, that upside is absolutely fabulous, and you would be mad not to consider him if he continues playing like he is. Yeah, where are you, where are you on his form, Hamish? Well, 
Artie Savia at number eight would be one of the only guys in the team who's actually short of a pace right now. Like, it's fairly wide open. There's a few underwhelming performances in the last couple of years, so wouldn't necessarily be looking for someone to come in for eight. And as a rule, I wouldn't necessarily be looking for too many bolters this time in the cycle either. Like, you have to have room for a John Lomu who came in late in 94 and then obviously was one of the stars of 95. But, like, the team should be set in stone rather than trying to pull rabbits out of the hat at this stage. I'd like to actually see the coaching staff get some performances out of the guys they've got. Like, there's enough talent there, but I stand to be corrected, but I don't see many of them playing to their potential. And I would I'd be demanding that from people rather than saying, hey, look, we've got a shiny new toy. Let's play that one. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think, yeah, he's okay, but it's not better than Artie. And for relying on him to sort of spark the team up, we've got a few problems, haven't we? Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a, that's a fair assessment. I think Hoskins Satudu is certainly putting his hand up as well. I, I guess the question uh, then is, Hamish, is, but, I mean, if you play England or uh, South Africa or, or the French for that matter, is Artie a big enough number eight to play number eight against those teams? Well, arguably not, but again, he's been one of the most consistent performances, uh, performers, and he always plays above his weight. I mean, the, this lack of size has been a criticism of his of him from day one. Um, the complicating factor there is Sam Kane. I mean, if, if he's in the team, Artie can't play seven. Do you ditch him? Do you make someone else captain? Is Artie the seven? Do you have a bigger body at eight? Like, I doubt the like of Ben Kane. That means Artie's got to play somewhere, and it looks like it's eight. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Mark? I mean, is is Artie big enough uh, in the, in that conversation? I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I think people are talking about Suakula because he has that extra size and that extra punch. Well, I think first and foremost, the number one rule you would have when you're selecting an All Blacks squad at the moment would be uh, Artie Savier would be your first player picked. To me, he's the most consistent, uh, the most dynamic, and just purely the best New Zealand rugby player we have. So you, so he's in the team. It's just whether he plays seven or eight. And again, I think that comes down to who the opposition is. Uh, Rick, as you touched on, against a team like England or South Africa, do you need that extra size at eight? And then you might slot Artie to seven. But against maybe teams like France, um, um, where you need maybe more mobility and, and others, um, you, you would then say well, you, you'd be happy to play Artie at eight. So I think I think it's Artie's a moving piece, but the one thing I I do know is he plays absolutely irrespective of of who we're playing. Artie Savia is in the team; it's just whether he plays eight or seven. This is the Dilmar Expertise Panel. Dilmar, do try it. All right, gentlemen. Uh, Sean Johnson's out for the next month for the Warriors. Ash Taylor, formerly the Million Dollar Man from the Titans, gets a start. If the Warriors win with Ash Taylor in the team, does it make Sean Johnson look like a little bit of a waste of money for the club? Hamish? Um, oh, crikey. Uh, look, I think he's a waste of money full stop. I wouldn't have picked him up. I don't think he's going to take them to another level. I don't think he's got a lot left, uh, much left to offer. Um, will it make any difference materially? No, I don't think they're a top eight team. I think they'll struggle. And no matter who they put in the halves, I mean, the thing that brasses me off is the muddled thinking. Like, last week, Cody Nicarima's a sixth. Harris Davida's playing fullback. Well, they've been Nicarima after one game. Like, well, where's the planning been? Like, what have they spent the last few months doing? Like, you, either, you know where guys are going to play, surely to goodness, and you know who your best combinations are, and surely you've worked on that. I just, I don't actually think they know what they're doing. I think there'll probably be a revolving door in the halves, and I don't think Sean Johnson will do anything to change that when he's back. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I, he's a flawed player, and we know that. 
I just don't see that bringing a flawed player into an already flawed squad is going to do much to change anything. Well, given that Nathan Brown said pre-season that he didn't want to be messing around with his half combinations too much, he's already uh, sort of proved himself a liar to an extent, hasn't he, Mark? Yeah, uh, he does have talent there, though. And, you know, when Shaw Johnson's fit and available and you've got those, um, Karina Karima and Chanel Harris-Tavisa and, um, and, of course, Reese Walsh now coming back into the picture as a, as a fullback, but he is a playmaker. Um, so they have talent. And when you've got talent, you have options. And, you, and you know, you, and, and as a coach, I guess you are tempted to kind of look at those options. The one thing, I wouldn't write Sean Johnson off just yet. Look, he brings... He brings uh, He's not the Magic Johnson we all knew of him in his peak at the Warriors, is he? Let's face it, those days are gone. He's 32 years old. And we shouldn't be surprised maybe he picks up an injury at the same history tells you any NRL guys in their, in their 30s are a bit more susceptible to knock. So um, uh, credit to the Warriors for having a player of Ash Taylor's ability on hand to slot in. That's exactly why they signed him to that deal. And um, he's going to be needed. If he plays well, as Sean Johnson superfluous? I don't think so, because his leadership and his control of the game, when we saw that even last week, uh, that's essential for Warriors team. has a lot of talent, but doesn't always have that mouth uh, uh, and leadership and, and control around the field. And I think Sean Johnson will bring that. Um, it's just a matter of whether you can kind of, I guess, assume the other aspects of his game in his, in his 30s, that he's, he's not the threat of those other more talented, more youthful playmakers. So um, I think too early to write him off, Rick. Um, and it's too early to write the Warriors off, but that was a worrying week one, wasn't it? Uh, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, yeah you've got to spell Warriors with a W-O, I think, uh, is probably more apt uh, at the moment. Uh, this is the Dilmar Expertise Panel. Dilmar celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. We're going to break away to Araha with news and sport. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue the Dilmar Panel. We're going to talk white ferns and all whites. The Expertise Panel. Brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. It's 27 away from 11 here on the Dilmar Expertise Panel. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Ricardo in for Smithy. We've got uh, Mark Hinton and Hamish Bidwell with us. And gentlemen, the uh, the next question, well, this, could, this could take up the rest of the panel, to be honest. Uh, the White Ferns, uh, Hamish, will they make the semi-finals of the Cricket World Cup? Well, we've got a couple of two-horse races to play, and so that gives you a chance, doesn't it? But on evidence of what we've seen, I'd... Sorry, mate, I should be honest there. I'm just trying to get my dog in the car. I'm down at Guthrie Park, home of Hedlock North Wanderers Football Club, and uh, in you get, buddy. And, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, we've talked about this before, Ricardo, about mm. them rising to the small occasions, you know, beat Australia in a warm-up game, find on with it, chasing more than 300, but putting the acid on them, putting the pressure on them, and they go to pieces... Last night's game, I watched just about every ball. Um, they had some never good beaten various times. Couldn't close it out. Massive choke in the first game against West Indies. And what I think that worries me about this team is after the, the 141 run lost to Australia at the Basin last weekend, none of the players fronted the media. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mark's been there, you've been there, I've been there. You go into those press conferences, someone's really disappointed. Um, they'd rather be anywhere but there. And the questions are sympathetic. You take the person situations into account. You lob them a few half volleys, they pat them back, and then they go. But no one had the, the mental fortitude, I don't even know if that's the right phrase, to turn up and actually front that. They sent out Jacob Orb, the assistant coach, to do that. And 
that speaks to me of a team that, that shirks away from pressure, that, that doesn't like the big occasion. You know, I, someone had to rise to the big occasion last night, and it was a marathon cap from South Africa. It wasn't the white fence. They shrunk from it. So, as I say, they've got two games, they're two horse races. Can they win? Yeah, maybe. They've got England first up. England have been struggling, but I don't think on the body of what we've seen from the white fence of this tournament over a number of years when actually everything's on the line, they don't seem to, to be able to manage it. So, yeah, to answer your question, I, I doubt that they'll qualify. Yeah, all right. Mark, uh, are, are you giving uh, White Ferns fans any more hope uh, than Hamish did? Well, this hope, it's, you know, it, it seems like a little bit of a battle with an epitude with your White Ferns against England on Sunday, doesn't it? Neither team is playing well. Neither team has confidence or form or momentum, really. Um so it's going to be who gets it together on the day. But Hamish is right. We just haven't seen anything convincing from these girls so far, uh, particularly in the pressure moments, which are inevitable in a uh, cricket World Cup of this nature. You know, uh, one day internationals um, have a lot of kind of uh, uh, periods where, you know, the game hangs in the balance and it's how you kind of grab those moments. And I just don't think these white fans are, are stepping up in them. You know, they, 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 they rely a lot on Sophie Devon, but she gets 93 and they still still um, only get a disappointing 228 batting first, which just wasn't enough. And they just bat out their 50 overs, an absolute cardinal sin. They left 11 balls. Those are the extra 11 balls. How crucial. They could have scrambled off, you know, five or six more runs. How crucial would they have been at the end there? They, they did manage to at least squeeze the... South Africans and create a bit of a finish in the end. So they would go home, didn't they, on Marazan Kitkat's uh, great clutch hitting. But um, yeah, a lot wrong with them. Um, no confidence, but they're a chance. Look, they're a chance because they do have um, game breakers in there, don't they? Sophie Devine. Uh, Susie Bates has to be due to score runs, doesn't she? She's, she I think she's four innings and single digits in this tournament, so she's she's due, and uh, you know they've got other class operators that aren't quite contributing, uh, but they need they just need to be better. They need to step up and own the moments, and they need to um, put some big totals on the board and put the pressure on the opposition rather than be always under pressure themselves. So a lot to do, Rick. Now, and I couldn't say you'd be confident, but there is hope. There is there is hope. All right, and uh, our last. Um conversation gentlemen is about the all whites of course they're at the world cup qualifiers uh over in the middle east uh playing the oceania qualifiers over there um i mean oceania is a mess right i don't think that's any that's that's news uh but surely this is a new height in uh absolute rebelness and i don't know if that's a word i've just invented it but playing the most important tournament every four years and you're playing half of it outside of an international window because you couldn't get it together, is it time for New Zealand football to consider moving out of Oceania or FIFA even looking at it and going, this is a shamozzle, let's just make it part of Asia and be done with it? Hamish? Yeah, well, let me jump in, let me, oh, let me jump in on that one first. Look, it, um, it, it seems an obvious move. Um, if you look at what basketball has done, moving into FIBA Asia, uh, for the simple reason that they just need better games, better standard of opposition, more regular fixtures. I know COVID's kind of played havoc with that in the last couple of years. But if you looked at the all-whites in the game, you know, who are we looking forward to them playing? Fiji, New Caledonia, you know, the Solomon Islands, Tahiti, whoever. Can, you know, 
can we really get excited about that? Whereas if they were in Asia, they'd be playing Australia, you know, the heavyweights of, of the region. Um, to me, it makes sense, but there are certainly, um, as you would know better than me, Rick, there are certainly um, tactical um, advantages to being in Oceania in terms of pathways and getting into events. At the end of the day, even if they win this Oceania tournament, they still have a heck of a tough uh, World Cup playoff game after that. So, so pathways, you know, I'll, if it was me, I would be tempted to go, let's join, let's join the Asian zone, get tougher, better games, and let's improve that way. Yeah, what's your take uh, on that, Hamish? Yeah, I'm a bit torn, to be fair. Like, Mark Rose has that point there about the Oceania scenario, giving, you know, um, age group teams entry to World Cups out of Oceania and Olympics and that kind of carry-on. And that's that's really advantageous for football in New Zealand. Now, Oceania is not particularly advantageous for the All-Whites, but it's a broader issue than just them, right? I mean, in the fair income stakes, yes, they should be playing in a proper competition. I just, you know... This is absolutely nothing, and it's so disappointing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's—I can't believe that we're like one of the few nations in the world that can't sort of quite embrace or capitalise on how big a sport football is. Um, you know, I was a kid when the road to Spain happened. It was one of the greatest things that ever occurred in our lifetime. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it was yeah, the backdrop of the Springbok Tour, and football was like humming. People were so keen on it, and the teams did amazing. We had 24 teams qualified in those days. Like, it was astonishing. It's just nothing. It's just so flat. Would going to Asia help that? Yeah, but then again, there would be no pathways for our younger players. Then you'd have to say, oh, that's cool. I'll have to go and play, you know, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Blumen, um, China, whatever. They'd have to improve that way. But they'd probably get thrashed and be on a hiding to nothing. Are they better to go to world tournaments like the under-17 girls team did and get third because they know they can get in? Is that better for New Zealand football in the long run? And the all-whites playing in Asia, I genuinely don't know. It's something that they need to weigh up because, you know, for the national team, it's poor, but for the broader game, I think it's actually advantageous to Oceania. Yeah, interesting. All right, gentlemen, thanks very much for your time on the Dilmar panel today. I really appreciate it. Go well and enjoy your weekends, eh? Yeah, cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Rick. Cheers, uh, Hamish Bidwell and Mark Hinton there with us on the Dilma Expertise panel. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, racing between now and 11. Uh, Michael Guerin and Louis Herman Watt joining us between now and then. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a quarter to 11 here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. Uh, follow SENZ Radio on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and send us a DM with the words The Race for the chance to win a half percent share of Self Assured. If Self Assured wins the race at Cambridge Raceway on April 14, one lucky winner will walk away with a half percent of the winnings from the race. Should be around two grand. Uh, Mike, uh, Michael Guerin joins us now to talk uh, harness racing. Uh, do you like Self Assured for the race, mate? Well, I do. Um, good morning, Ricardo, and big hi to everybody listening in the country. Hope they enjoyed St. Patrick's Day, if you're that way inclined. Um, he's actually racing tonight, self-assured, Ricardo. He's racing in the 6th at Alexandra Park. They have a massive meeting there tonight, and he's up against a couple of the horses he'll race in a race, which is at Cambridge on the 14th of April. He has to be the favourite. He's favourite in the markets, and he has to be the favourite on overall performances Ricardo, but tonight could be a trick for him because he's drawn barrier seven over seventeen hundred metres, and I think they'll go back at the start rather than being aggressive, and that means luck and the tempo of the race come into play. So his old 
sparring partner, South Coast Arden, is also in the race, and I think he might go forward and potentially lead. So it could be a case tonight that self-assured needs to be significantly better than South Coast Arden to beat him, and with this only being a lead-up race, I'll be very careful about backing him tonight, but great news for his connections during the week of Ricardo because his owner, Gene Feast, who has gone into business with the slot owned by ECMG for the race, is of course Australian, so she'll be able to come over for the race because, as you know, the borders change, the restrictions are dropped from midnight April the 12th, and the race is on April the 14th, so lots of excited Australians hoping to be at Cambridge for the new $900,000 race that they aired the Thursday before Easter. Yeah, nice. So, I mean, so I'm looking at that race tonight uh, that you mentioned at Alexander, uh, Alexander Park. Uh, South, Coast Arden, uh, South Coast Arden is paying 280 uh, versus the 210 that Self Assured uh, has. So, those are the two favourites for the race. So, you, you'd be on South Coast Arden if you were going to punt on this race? Look, I, I just think he's got a better chance of getting the lead, and therefore would be very, very hard to beat. He's no good thing, but yeah, it makes more sense. It's more logical. Um, it, it's a really good race, not least tonight, Ricardo. We have a lead-up to the Oaks and to the Derby. They're both next Friday for really big money. Um, the Derby win, or the Derby lead-up, Akuta should probably win, but he was wide draw, so a little bit of a concern there. And Ironically, in race five, the Oaks lead-up, I like Remember Me, and it's got a wide draw too, and I hate backing horses with wide draws, Ricardo. So it's almost like backing your favourite Super Rugby team when they're playing away from home. You might want to back them, but when they're playing away from home, they have this chance of winning, and it leaves you in a slightly uncomfortable position if you decide to have a bet. So I might just see how the odds play out tonight, Ricardo, before I get involved. And also, tonight, there's Addington on. Addington have a huge race meeting here with Sunday's son set to become the first ever trotter to get past a million dollars in stakes without even racing in Australia. So all his racing has been in New Zealand, he will probably win tonight. Even if he doesn't win, he'll still go past the billion-dollar barrier. And Ricardo, that's a hell of a performance from a little horse who used to be a troublesome little galloper. These days, he's the most beautiful trotter, and he'll join that Millennials Club tonight, the first horse to ever do it without racing in Australia. Yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing. What have you got lined up tomorrow, mate? Of course, you're back in on the mail run tomorrow. Yeah, we are. 8 o'clock in the morning, Billy Hammond, what's my role? And we're going to have Jamie Richards on. Um, we usually get him on Saturday mornings because he has so many good horses. He has five in the Lillian Classic and three in the New Zealand Oaks. On his last day as a Group 1 trainer in New Zealand, he, he obviously leaves to go to Hong Kong uh, in May, but he, he steps down from the head trainer role at Tiakau on April the 1st. So this is the last day he'll be training Group 1 horses. In New Zealand, he's got two group ones targeted tomorrow, favourites in both. We're also going to have Matt Cameron on the show. We'll be talking to Alan Sherrick, who has gone into the syndication business. And later, we're going to try and talk to a guy called Phil Cataldo. He's an agent. And that means he buys horses for other people, Ricardo. Fascinating story. Goes to races and trials all the time, tries to find good horses and sell them to other people. And he is very very good at what he does. What we're going to ask him tomorrow on the mail run is what do you look for? When you're looking at horses, is it just speed or are there other things that make you want to buy them for other people? So should be a fascinating show from 8 o'clock tomorrow morning and then of course we have Pops talking earlier time 
on Sunday. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, so we go 9 to 10 to talk all things harness racing with Greg O'Connor uh, before we get into the cricket commentary coming in live from 10.25. So an earlier talk talk on Sunday morning. Yeah, good stuff, Michael. You're keeping busy. Uh, it's good to see. Good luck on the punt tonight, mate, and we'll catch up soon, eh? Thanks, brother. Cheers, uh, Michael Guerin there, talking harness racing with us here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Harness racing, get amongst it. hrnz.co.nz, live the dream, get involved in harness racing today. Harness racing, uh, New Zealand harness racing, visit hrnz.co.nz. We're going to uh, do a love racing update now, get the thoroughbred look with Louis Herman Watt next. Overall winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Yeah, that's right. It is the Love Racing update with loveracing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews, and more. And a man that's going to give us, always delivers more, is the hyphen, Louis Herman Watt. G'day, mate. How you doing? Yeah, apart from yesterday where I just tipped out a... a Absolute loser. Um, sacred giant. So that was the opposite of delivering after I was paying you out for supporting Manchester United. But hey, we, look, we can only rebuild from here, Ricardo. We can, mate. We can. I, I, there is some good news come through on the Temper Bedpost text machine, mate. Jimmy from Puhoy has got in touch and said, Can you please ask Louis when he comes on how I can get this bottle of rum to him? Oh, outstanding. Jimmy, um, we will lob out our Monday morning, I'll lob out our address at SCNZ, stop in, and uh, I'll meet you outside, and, and look, I'll, I'll talk it through with you as well. And also, Jimmy, do, do me a favour. Just back self-obsession in the Oaks, mate. Just back self-obsession in the Oaks. McNabb confirmed everything I wanted this morning. He said she could just win from anywhere. I mean, she's a massive filly. 2,400 metres is just so far up her alley, and she sits outside the leader. She can get to the lead. She can get behind the leader. She's got good manners. She goes to sleep. She's going to stay all day. I just love it. I love self-possession in the Oaks. It's giving me memories of Amar Alina last year. Went down to Trenton for Amar Alina. He just backed into about $1.55 for Jamie Richards that day. I don't think self-possession will get that short. But another big, silly, long striding and just got put in the race by the perfect spot, Oki Boston, that day, and she was too good. So I think self-possession is the clear top pick in the Oaks tomorrow at Trenton, Rick. Are you, are you getting down there yourself, mate? No, 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 no. I've um, put Wellington to the side for a minute. Um, but uh, after all that carry on at Parliament, it put me off, you know. Um, but I won't do that. There's plenty of good racing going on, though. Um, we've got the Levin Stakes as well, where we've got Seamus, the Alan Sherrick runner, up against the Tiakau Army for Jamie Richards and David Ellis, of course. So that's a great one. And in, and in the race, I think it's race. Seven, the race before the Oaks. I'm huge on can I get an amen. I think Rose and Power's the only real threat, but can I get an amen? I've been banging on about it all week, Rick. Ran in behind Levante, Rock and Horse, Master Pony. They all came out in one group one. She gets less weight on her back. Good draw, same track. I just think she's going to go huge and you're getting superb value at the moment. Yeah, four fifty and a dollar ninety, mate. Four fifty and a dollar ninety. Get on it now. Yep, love it. Before it comes in, after after that massive uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, tip, mate. Uh, good stuff. Thanks for coming on, mate. Doing the doing the extra yards as usual. Louis, go well. 
Yep, see everyone on the mail run tomorrow. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, of course, uh, teaming up with Mick Guerin on the mail run tomorrow. That is loveracing.nz, your home of everything thoroughbred racing, your love racing update. In the next hour, we're going to talk AFL, we're going to talk greyhounds, and give you a chance to win $100 worth of TAB vouchers with Stumped by Ricardo. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's four past eleven here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. No Smithy, so you got Ricardo Ball through till midday today. Will Smithy on World Cup duty? Why are we playing that song? Well, because Chris Mundell joins us, the head coach of New Zealand's AFL team, the New Zealand Falcons. Uh, Chris, good morning to you. Good morning, Ricardo. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. I I couldn't help. That's the first time I've heard that song, and. I, you know what, it just brought back memories of He's a Lumberjack and He's Okay by Monty Python. So I just had kind of, uh, you know, visions in my head of guys in very tight brown shorts with uh, suspenders, fishnets and high heels on. I don't know, it's quite unhealthy. Well, that's an unhealthy thought process, mate. You should really get yourself looked at, you know. <laughs> mate, we got you on because uh, we had a conversation earlier in the week that AFL was kicking off uh, and I kind of gave it the big, mm, not that bothered, because the the only opportunity I've, I've really uh, given it is when we had the games at the cake tin, and so I, I, I cleared my afternoon schedule and sat down with a with a, with a beer or two uh, to watch, I think it was St Kilda Carlton, I think, uh, that first game, and I just I just didn't understand it. I actually found myself uh, falling asleep on the couch into the second quarter. Uh, we had a conversation about that. We got we put it out there about what's your feeling about AFL. We had a mixed response. Some love it. Some uh, uh, were like me. But we thought we, we it's it's such a big sport just over the ditch that we should have a talk to somebody about it. Give us some some basic in, insight and, and understanding on it, and maybe try and figure out how we can choose a team as well. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a hugely popular domestic sport in Australia. New Zealand are somewhat late to the party in terms of picking it up. As a born and big Kiwi who's played rugby my whole life, the transfer across to play AFL and, and then into coaching of AFL uh, was new. But the, the, the game is a beautiful game and it, and it actually allows so many more skills to be on display from a rugby playing point of view that, that anyone can have a go and anyone can really enjoy it. So how did you get into AFL? What was the introduction for you? And I guess what was your initial reaction when you first sort of started watching the game? Well, I mean, I, I picked up through some flatmates of mine who were, who were, were all rugby players. Um, AFL in New Zealand, especially in Auckland, was targeted as a, as a way to harness skills and enhance your skills outside of those main rugby seasons. So it was more of a summer sport for us. The flat went along. We enjoyed it as a dare I say, a forward for most of my rugby playing career, never allowed to touch the ball, kick it or, or run with it too freely. Um, AFL offered all those options and really, you know, I always wished I was a first five and this sport allowed me to be one. Yeah, which is fantastic. And you, How did you progress from that to being the coach of our national team? 
Oh, look, my professional career was a tennis coach at the time. Coaching's always been a passion of mine. I've been involved in coaching and coach education my whole career. So, like with many club sports and community events, the uh, the one who has the least amount of experience usually gets his hands stuck up. So I was put in charge of our club side. From there, I you know my passion is coaching, so I took on the open side, got involved as a player uh, with the national side, and then once I was retired, um, coaching was the next obvious path to keep involved. Well, I've just had a text come through on our temper bed post text machine. How can you play AFL in New Zealand? Um, I'm not sure where this texter is from, but uh, can you give us uh, sort of some insight into the club structure and and, and sort of what centres do have an AFL competition? Yeah, look, it's growing. I mean, the main three centres, Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch, all all have a club league. Uh, Six teams in Auckland, four, I believe, in Wellington and four down in Christchurch as well. So it's a growing sport. There's opportunities for everyone in all abilities. Uh, from expats to first-timers can play in that club league. Uh, AFL New Zealand are working really hard at creating a youth program that can go across the country. So for those who aren't quite old enough or um, big enough to play with the club guys, there's an opportunity there as well. So it is a growing sport. We've been playing AFL New Zealand for almost as long as the Aussies have in one form or another. Certainly not to the same level, obviously, yet, but there is opportunity there. It's usually run. I know the Auckland League is run outside of that rugby window, we try not to clash with those winter codes for that exact reason. So it's usually from sort of September through December. And then, as I said, AFL New Zealand have other programs for national representation on top of that. In terms of uh, positionally, I mean, that was one of the things I think I probably struggled with most when I was watching this. I was, you know, for a start, it's not played on a rectangle. It's played in a big circle. Um, so positionally, how many players per team and, and what are the positions and what are the jobs of those, of, of those guys? Oh, look, so on the field, there's 18 per side. So it is a, it's a large sport. As you said, the field is not a rectangle. We usually use in New Zealand cricket grounds. Uh, the MCG is 150 by about 120. So it's quite a large ground um, with 18 people on each side. You need that space. The positions are split into sort of three areas. There's the six forwards, six in the midfield, and then six backs. The forwards and the backs somewhat take care of themselves. The backs are there to stop the forwards scoring goals. The forwards are the glory boys who are there to try and kick goals and look good. And the midfielders are the ones who do all the hard work in the running and give us the ball. So we hear, you know, when I listen to, uh, say, Fox Sports News or whatever uh, on TV, I, I hear the term ruckman a lot. Is, uh, whereabouts, uh, where, does the, where does the ruckman play and what's his gig? So the ruckman's usually one of your taller players. He sort of sets off, if you relate it back to basketball, that centre tip-off. That's effectively the Ruckman's job. The game starts, and after each goal, the game restarts with effectively a tip-off. They call it a bounce, where two big Ruckmen jump up and try and tap the ball to their teammates in the middle. So he's a, he's a big lumbering bloke usually, um, highly athletic, gets around the ground, but is there for that above-head contest. And is he strictly a midfielder, or can your Ruckman come from anywhere on the field for tip-off? That can come from anywhere on the field. So there's, there's a Ruckman nominated at the start, but then when there are ball-ups and others starting um, around the ground, they can come from anywhere. So um, anyone can be the Ruckman, but there is usually a nominated Ruckman to start each each game off. Yeah, well, I mean, the 18 aside, I, I can see why maybe we've got six clubs, four clubs, four clubs in those main centres, because you need a lot of bodies, don't you? Do, do you always play 18 aside? Is there a cut-down version of the game? Yeah, look, the game is, a, you know, you can play... 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, whatever you've got. So obviously we try as a club league to, to keep it at 18s, but we are under aware that injuries, age and time pressures mean that not always 
full squads are available. So the beauty of the game is you can drop to 16s if required and you can you can kind of make it work with whatever numbers you've got. Obviously, the less numbers you have, you might want to change the field size because otherwise you'd be doing a hell of a lot of running. I've played, uh, I played one season of Gaelic football, uh, which kind of made more sense to me because it was quite, probably closer to football. But, I mean, how interchangeable are the skills between Gaelic and AFL? Yeah, very similar, very similar. The Irish... Um, have a natural penchant for AFL because of that transferability. It's very much the same run, catch, kick, pass. Is a, a very similar in both. Yeah, OK. All right, mate. Well, hey, listen, uh, how how competitive is the New Zealand Falcons team? And I guess with Australia being the best in the world, uh, I'm assuming, being the biggest in the world, who do we play against? Because we can't just get flogged by them every time we play, right? <laughs> no, that wouldn't be much fun. Uh, we do put ourselves up to the New Zealand team have an annual fixture against uh, an Australian side. Usually, historically, it's been the Australian AIS Academy, so not necessarily the AFL professional players, but some of the younger guys on their way through. Um, that is a tough challenge for us. They are coming from a, a lot further back in terms of their understanding and skills in the game. That's always a real tough um, game. And then every three years, the AFL put on what they call the International Cup, which is a World Cup um, minus Australia. So that's uh, where we really try and push ourselves. We've been... We lost the final to Papua New Guinea by a point. Um, we have won it once before. Ireland, ourselves, Papua New Guinea, uh, the UK, USA, they're all sort of burgeoning um, AFL nations who are on their way up. So it is a highly competitive space. Obviously, that female space with the AFLW's got a huge amount of potential for players on this side of the ditch to make their, make their way, but um, it's all a growing space. Yeah, okay. I mean, in terms of transferable skills, I would imagine that basketball players, particularly, would be uh, would be you know, in terms of you talking ruckman and 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 things, and maybe in the defence would be uh, guys who could transfer reasonably easily, or or maybe like yourself, were you a, what a lock? Yeah, yeah, lock flanker can be at uh, fullback. Is all my team. <laughs> but um, yes, I agree. Basketball is certainly with that understanding of zone defence and space and being able to move left and right, um, have a really strong skill set that can be transferred across. Who are some of the um, Kiwis that have transferred uh, over to, to play AFL? Have we had many? Uh, we have had a couple. We've got a number of guys in the AFL who have New Zealand heritage who may not necessarily come from our, our breeding ground, but we have had guys make it from this side of the ditch. Uh, Kurt Heatherley was one of the first who was a basketballer identified while he was 16 here in New Zealand, taken over to Melbourne. He was part of the Hawthorne setup for a number of years and then came back and actually played a bit of um, rugby for Auckland. So those skills are certainly transferable. We've got pathways open and, and access into Australia from the side of the ditch. So for those who are interested in that can be an option for them, it is certainly viable. Not easy, by no means stretch, but it is viable. Now, you, we played, of course, the Hawthorne song at the top, uh, you know, the team that looked like they're running around in crunchy wrappers, um, for, for, for for was, was my take on those guys. Um, why do you support the Hawthorne Hawks? I mean, they were big in the 90s, I suppose. Was that when you were growing up? And what, what you saw was used to be pretty much them and Carlton, didn't it, for a long time? Yeah, look, Hawthorne's one of the largest clubs in the competition. They've got a really um, proud and storied history. They've been hugely successful over the generations. When I came into the game in the sort of early thousands, they weren't that great. They weren't cash. The guys I was, um, the expats I was running around with were big Hawks fans. And I timed my entry into the sport really well with Hawthorne from about 2008 onwards, becoming a real powerhouse in the, in the competition. And um, 
the mid thousands won three in a row. So they're not having a great run at the moment. They're sort of on a bit of a rebuild, but once you pick a team at the start, you sort of have to back them through pick and pin. Oh, it's the whole whole thing about being a fan, right? Exactly, mate. Exactly. I mean, there are clubs in the AFL who haven't won premierships for 50, 60 years, which certainly makes, you know, as a Blues fan, it's a bit of context and might have a bit longer to wait. <laughs> well, you know, as, uh, as as somebody who, uh, talking in our role as an Eels fan, we haven't won the uh, premiership since 86, so I, I kind of feel that. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if, we were, if, if you're a New Zealander who's going to pick up the sport and, and start watching it, how do you suggest we go about choosing a team to, to follow? Oh, look, I think if you've got any kind of connection to Australia, that's a good starting point. Where are, you, where are your roots from over there? Where do you have any family connections? Is a really strong starting point. But then from there on, it can be as superficial as the colour of the jersey. It can be, you know, the sound of the song, where they play out of anything, really. I think the key thing is that once you invest in a team, you become hugely loyal to that side. So I'd recommend having a look around, have a look at teams, pick one you like, and then just jump all in and really back them to the help. Good stuff, Chris. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on and giving us some insight, uh, educating us a little bit. This has sort of been AFL for dummies, effectively, uh, for the last 15 minutes. Uh, uh, so I really appreciate it. If people want to find out more, uh, where can they go? I would recommend going to aflnewzealand.co.nz. Uh, all the information about club leagues, pathways, promotions are all on there. Beautiful. Thanks very much, Chris. Go well, mate. Enjoy your weekend, eh? Appreciate it. Cheers, uh, Chris Bundell there, the uh, New Zealand Falcons head coach on SENZ. Uh, still to come this hour, your chance to win $100 worth of TAB vouchers and some sleep drops as well with Stumped by Ricardo. Up next, though, we're talking dogs with Emma Potts. Judy, you got Ricardo Ball with you through till midday today. Just updating the cricket, Bangladesh Windies. Uh, the Windies just into the sixth over, 20 without loss at Bay Oval. We'll keep you up to date with that throughout the day here on SENZ. Of course, uh, you can tune in to SENZ every Sunday between 11 and 12 for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, hosted by Greyhound experts Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed show. And speaking of dogs, we are going to talk to a young trainer now in the Greyhound community, Emma Potts. She joins us. G'day, Emma. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. Uh, how did you get into into dog training and, and into the sport? Um, it was more my dad really got involved um, as an owner first off, and I go with him to the races and watch his dogs go round and got um, a really good friendship going with the trainer and he offered me a job um, working on the farm and stuff, and I couldn't say no. Was that Steve Clark? It was Steve Clark. Yeah, he's unfortunately no longer with us. But, I mean, how how much did you uh, – I imagine you were a bit of a sponge around him. I mean, how, how key was he to your career as a trainer? Oh, massive. Um, most of what I know now I learned from Steve and his then partner, Cass. Um, yeah, amazing. Amazing knowledge about um, food and how to check a dog and – what goes into racing and how to prepare them and stuff. Yeah, most things I do now with my dogs um, has come from Steve. Uh, I, I guess one of the, the, the million-dollar questions that every uh, greyhound uh, trainer, owner gets asked is how do you spot the ones that, get, that are going to go good and, and uh, versus the ones that just end up on the couch with you? Uh, it's all about in their pre-training, I guess, um, from puppy to rearing them to breaking them in. You can tell quite early off um, the ones that want to do it and the ones that um, don't want to do it and would rather have the couch. And, yeah, it's all about giving them time and, yeah, they'll, they'll let you know. 
Now, I mean, I know that you, you're around the Auckland region, aren't you? Emma, is that right? Yes, I am. Yeah. yeah. How do you find it in terms of, uh, I guess, the setup of getting yourself set up to be a trainer, uh, to be an owner of dogs? In terms of, you know, we know what pro- property prices are like in Auckland. I mean, mm-hmm. how much of a challenge has that been for you, and how how did you get around it? It's very difficult. Um, when I first started out training on my own, I was very lucky enough that my parents um, sold their house in Pocono, moved into the middle of nowhere um, to a property with land, and allowed me to train off their property um, unless you have something like that it's very very difficult um, as a young person starting off and again now training in with Hayley um, I'm also very lucky that she had the property she has the land um, that we can work in together but there's really no help um, out there if I'm being honest for young trainers to get involved so I suppose it's all about who you know and getting those support networks there to help you get started. Yeah, I was going to ask you about you know Greyhound Racing New Zealand and whether or not there was uh, any sort of assistance for young trainers, young people trying to you know sort of get into the sport. Not financially, no. It's been brought up um, quite often. I know um, there's been you know talk a while ago about having a training complex, a bit like how they do with the horses and having one complex and having you know numerous trainers there, but no, nothing really, no. Mm. And so, I mean, it's important for you to be able to train with um, Hayley Mullane now. How, how does that uh, relationship work? Oh, it's awesome. I worked for Hayley um, after Steve Clark, before I went out on my own. Um, and, yeah, we get on great. We've always worked really well together. And when the opportunity came up um, to go into partnership with her, um, yeah, it was a no-brainer, really. I have the chance now to have puppies and um, break-ins and stuff, something which I couldn't have done at home. Um, on my own, so yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky. Yeah. How uh, how many dogs do you currently have? Um, forty two. Wow. Around forty two. And, yeah. and in terms of you know sort of cost and, and and how you offset that, I mean you know uh, I don't know how many times your your dogs are, are are running every week, and I guess not all forty two of them will be running every week. But how how do you manage that, and and what's the outlay like for you on a week to week basis? Um. You have your highs and lows, um, obviously, month to month. You could have a really good month, and then the, the following month could be um, a real low month in terms of um, money. Um, yeah, they say um, don't become a greyhound trainer if you want to make money. Um, <laughs> basically, we do, it, we do it for the love of the dogs. And, yeah, if you break even, you're going, you're going really good. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, what you do outside of this, I mean, how do you, how do you support it? In what way? Financially. Um, oh, honestly, just luck, really. Um, we, you know, do our best with the dogs, work on the dogs, and you just hope that when you get into the races, they a get round safe, most of all, and b they um return money. Yeah, right. So you don't do anything else outside of training. Training is no, your full time gig. Just the greyhound training. No, just the yeah, just the training. Wow. Uh, and in terms of um, you know the way that you work with Haley, um, how do you guys you know sort of work? I mean, obviously she's got her dogs, you got your dogs, but how does that work for you in terms of you know the the input you put into each other's dogs? I mean, have you got some sort of share set up uh, so so that, so that everybody gets something out of it, regardless of who's winning? Yeah, so when I first moved there, obviously I took my 15 dogs with me and she had her dogs that were already there. And now they're all kind of intermingled. Her dogs are my dogs. Um, my dogs are her dogs. She has her shares in 
um, her dogs. Um, we own brew bitches together, um, which then will end up owning the puppies together. So eventually what we race, we will both own, um, which will be good, you know, to get those um, pups up and going yeah, to definitely. get us a bit of return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like a a, a a a good way forward for both of you. Hey, Emma, thanks very much for for coming on and having a chat. Where's um, when can we see your dogs in action next? Um, racing on Sunday at Auckland. Beautiful, excellent, mate. Well, hey, listen, best of luck with it, uh, and uh, thanks again for coming on. I really enjoyed your chat. Awesome, thank you. No problem at all. Emma Potts, they're talking greyhounds here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.28. Coming up soon, we are going to play Stumped with Ricardo. We have $100 worth of TAB vouchers to give away and some sleep drops as well. So give us a call, 0800 150 811. I can tell you in the cricket, 24 without loss after seven overs of the Windies. And uh, also, going back to the football, Everton uh, had a man sent off but still managed to beat Newcastle 1-0 so they have given themselves a three point break over the relegation zone uh, they are three points ahead of Watford with two games in hand so it was a, a good morning for Everton on that front and uh, currently going on in the uh, Europa League playoffs West Ham are now 2-0 up over Sevilla in extra time if it stays the same they will go through 2-1 on aggregate into the quarterfinals of the Europa League 0800 150 811 0800 150 that is the number you need to call if you want to be part of Stumped by Ricardo coming up shortly $100 with a TAB vouchers and of course some sleep drops could be all yours give us a call now 0800 150 811 0800 now to get to news and sport with Araha Hathaway. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That's right, it's time for Stumped. And we just had a fire alarm uh, drill in the building. Great timing there, right during the news, Ricardo. <laughs> Ricardo, back behind the wickets today. Uh, now, before I get into my spiel, you did allude to it earlier, uh, Ricardo, at the start of the show, and I said I wouldn't talk about it, but we probably should explain. Uh, Sammy Hewitt was wearing the gloves yesterday, and he would have stumped contestant number one on first try, but uh, due to a clerical error on my part, it went unnoticed. <laughs> Rookie mistake. I'm really sorry, guys. Mess. Not my strongest suit, but anyway, <laughs> yesterday's prize bill did jackpot. So today uh, we have $100 in TAB bonus bets up for grabs along with some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Joining us now, I believe, first-time contestant, Kurt from Palmy. Come in, mate. Hey, how's it going? Good. How's Palmy doing today? Ah, it's good. Yep, nice weather. Nice, love to hear it. Hey, if uh, if you win and you put something on the TAB and you win, make sure you treat yourself to some Munchkins fudge. That's uh, something I always get when I go to Palmy. Yeah, it's not bad. Oh, I love oh, it, mate. It. Munchkins fudge. Yeah, oh, it's making. Got to check it out, mate. They they ship to New Ze- uh, all around New Zealand. It's amazing stuff. Uh, so for those new to the game, this is how it works. We have three categories to choose from today. If you can answer all three questions correctly, you win it all. If you get a question wrong, then it's over to Ricardo, and he's got a chance to get it right and knock your bails off. Get stumped within the first two questions, uh, and it's on to the next caller. Get stumped on the final question, and we will jackpot again. Now, Kurt, today's topics are rugby league, soccer football, and ice hockey. Take your pick. I'll go rugby league. All right. Let's go, but rugby league. 
Yes, good luck to you, Kurt. Always great to have a first time. Yeah. All right, first question. Who was the leading try scorer for the Warriors last season? Um, I would go the winger, but I can't. Um, yeah. His name. Always Start thinking. With M. He's thinking. No, I can't think of the guy's name. I'll just go someone like Chanel Harris. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo, over to you, mate. Um, just quite. I hope you're not looking up. I can't see your screen, but uh, I'm hoping you're not looking up NRL.com stats right now. No, I'm not. Okay. I, I, when uh, it just kind of gave me a bit of pause uh, when Kurt said begins with M, the winger, because I, I assume he's talking about Montoya. But I thought the leading try scorer last season was you uh, and Aitken. Um, so I'm going to go you and Aitken. One of the worst things oh. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I dove in, especially after yesterday's controversy, <laughs> I delved into this because there's been a few player movements, right? Yeah. Uh, it was actually Reese Walsh. Oh, really? Nine, oh, nine tries yep. in, in his okay. 16 games. Okay, all right. Well, you, you, you stumps your attack, Curdy. That's the main thing. <laughs> You're still alive okay. here, Kurt. Still alive. Question number two for you. In Australia and New Zealand, who was the cover athlete for the Rugby League Live 4 video game that was released uh, back in 2017? Who was on the cover? Uh, 2017. Um, I don't think Sunny Bill was around then. Um, I'll say... Jason Tamalolo. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Good guess, good guess. Not JT though. Over to you, Ricardo. Well, I don't play uh, those games, so I don't. No. Have, I have no clue. So I'm just going to take a stab at who the biggest star was. Say Cameron Smith. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Another good guess. Cameron Smith would be a great option to be on the cover of uh, Rugby League Live Four. It was actually Adam Reynolds. Ah, there you go. Bronco. Uh, would have never get that. Of course, back then he was with, but yeah, when he was with the bunnies. Yeah. Uh, last question here, Kurt. So you are still alive here. One hundred dollars of TAB vouchers up for grabs and those sleep drops. We like to say here, you know, this year is our year when speaking of the Warriors. But of course, fans of the Parramatta Eels, sorry, Ricardo, uh, have been waiting a while for their year. When was the last time the Eels won the premiership, Kurt? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I just heard someone say it's been. Oh. <laughs> the music always drops out at the perfect time. <laughs> 56, someone said 56 years. I'm pretty sure I go say, what's the math on that? 1976. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I actually, when I was writing these, Ricardo, I actually completely blanked that you're a massive para fan. <laughs> it's a little bit unfair. 1986 is the answer. Yeah, I'm not even going to hit the button. Yeah, you are correct. So, <laughs> so jackpots again to 150 on, on Monday when Smithy is back. Which would be great. Great to have Smithy back. Unlucky, Curdy. Who, who do you like this weekend, mate? Where are you putting your, where are you putting your hard-earned? Uh, I think the Titans 
will win, but I reckon the, the Warriors' point start's pretty good. I think it was seven and a half, and I've just gone a couple of other ones as well. You're going to give us some insight, mate? Give us some insight, give us some tips. Uh, the Cowboys will get smoked. That's my team, that they'll get smoked. Yeah. And who was the game tonight? There's a game tonight that I think pretty... There's a couple of games tonight, actually. Uh, I think... Oh, Manly, Manly. I think Manly will beat the... The, the Roosters. The Roosters, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. That's I... what I've got, those three. Nice. Good luck, mate. Good luck. And the Panthers will smoke the Dragons. That's the early kickoff too. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, that one's hard. I reckon that'll be like a trip-up one, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, mate, mate there's, we trip up ones left, right and centre all over that first round, weren't they? So thanks thanks <laughs> yeah. for uh, yeah, for calling in, mate, and playing the first time. Unlucky, we uh, sorry we couldn't tee you up with some vouchers, but uh, try again next week, mate, and have a great weekend. No worries. You get too, too. Thank you. Cheers. That is uh, 22 away from 12 here on SCNZ. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.